So this is now our second week in this Lord's Prayer. And last week, if you were here, we looked at all of verses 7 through 15 here in this passage. And we did that because by doing so, we were able to see more generally what Jesus taught us about prayer in this whole section of Scripture. And remember, as a quick review, Jesus here taught us last week that prayer isn't about saying a certain number of words or about sounding spiritual, nor is it about convincing God to love you or informing God or worse, manipulating him. Instead, what is prayer? Well, overall, more generally, we saw last week that prayer is primarily about communing with God and aligning our words and our hearts and our lives with him in his ways. Which then, in the final two verses after the Lord's Prayer, last week we saw that this all does fundamentally depend on first actually knowing Jesus personally and being changed by his gospel. Meaning before any of us can truly pray, we must be individuals who trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in history and who are therefore being changed by one degree to the next by the Spirit. And so all that was last week, which now, with all that covered, allows us to dive more into each line of this famous Lord's Prayer this week. In order to do that, uh, if you remember last week, we gave the basic structure of this Lord's Prayer. And that's how this Lord's Prayer has four main parts to it. Four main parts. Number one is the address, our Father in heaven. Number two is the main ask, hallowed be your name. And then number three is there's some prayers concerning God about all that. And then number four are some prayers concerning us. And for us in our outline this morning, we, we could just dive into those four parts and have them be our four sections. But instead of that, to change it up just a little bit, we're still going to go verse by verse through this Lord's Prayer. But we'll do so in slightly a different way by boiling down everything here into three main questions. Three questions, which will be our three sections together this morning. Three questions. And as for what they are, first and longest and perhaps most important of all, We'll begin by asking, what's really going on when we pray? And that question is what I think sets the stage for the whole prayer. And it's often neglected or it's not really given the full force in the way that Jesus teaches us to pray here. But it is amazing. And so that will be our first and longest section. What does Jesus teach is really going on here when we pray? Which then, that question will set the stage for the next two questions. Because after that, in our second section, then we'll ask, and what does the answer to what's going on when we pray have to do with what we primarily pray about? That'll be our second section. Which in third, and finally, will lead us to ask, and what does all this mean concerning what we pray about ourselves? And I know those questions might seem a little vague for now, but you'll see what I mean. And, but in summary, three sections, three questions. First and biggest of all, what's going on when we pray? And seconds, and so what do we primarily pray about? And then third, and how does that affect how we pray concerning ourselves? And we'll do it all while going verse by verse through this famous pattern of prayer given to us by our Savior, Jesus. But all that said, let's then begin our first section together, church. And here again, we're asking, what's really going on when we pray? And for this, we're actually going to be focusing for a while just on this address in the Lord's Prayer in verse 9. And we know this address, but I do think that there's a ton more here than we sometimes think about. And in fact, to to try to describe what's actually here and what's really going on when we pray, since there's layers of meaning here, this may not be the best analogy, but to see these layers, I want us to think about these layers almost like climbing a mountain. 
climbing a mountain. Not that we need to climb a mountain to talk to God or anything, but in terms of what's here, there's layers to this address which are almost like ascending in majesty as we climb further up and further in into what's really going on in prayer. And hopefully in time you'll see what I mean. But first, before we actually even get into that, let's just make sure we hear this address again from Jesus in verse 9. And, and so what's going on in prayer? We'll look at the first half of verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. So just notice with me, track with me with the layers of meaning here. And so first and most basic, an answer right, to what's going on when we pray most simply, we do see that in prayer, we address and talk to God, right? We address and talk to God in prayer. And that's most foundational. It's at the foot of this mountain of what's going on when we pray. And when we say that we're talking to God, right, we need to realize that what we mean is we truly are speaking to the one who made everything and rules over all in heaven, and I do think that's primarily why Jesus says our Father in heaven because that in heaven is basically the Bible's way of not merely describing where God is but who God is. And so who are we talking to in prayer? Well, the sovereign God of the universe ruling in heaven. And so that's step one on this mountainside of what's really going on in prayer. We're talking to God. Which then, going a little further up on this mountainside of what's going on, the fact that we can address this God and talk to him now shows us that this God in heaven is actually personal as well. He's all-powerful and he's personal. And I know that might seem obvious to us because we now assume that about God, but God being personal it's quite profound when you think about it because this means that this sovereign one in heaven, the one who made us, is not some cosmic blob who rules and has no personality, who isn't like us at all. Instead, he is like us, or, or better yet, we're like him. Which means that although in a real sense this God is totally distinct from us as he's holy and God and in heaven, yet he is personal. And so you and I really can communicate with him. And so that's this God we can talk to, which then going further up even a little bit more brings us br briefly to that word our here from Jesus in this address. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but in short, that word now from Jesus shows us that it's not just that you and me individual can talk to this all-powerful personal God in heaven, but we can do it together. And not only that, but implied here is that even when we're not praying together, we as still as Jesus' people, are to recognize that we're not alone in going to God. And so that's the first three steps here up this mountainside in understanding what's really going on in prayer. And those are honestly a little more obvious. But then we can continue going further up and further in and we see even more. Because now, continuing up together on this mountainside of what's really going on in prayer, as we can all see, we now need to dwell on how amazingly it's actually not only that God is sovereign and personal here, according to Jesus, but he really is our Father in heaven. Our Father. Which shows us that now step four on this mountainside is that amazingly this God we're talking to truly loves us. In Christ, we're in his family and he cares for you and me. He really does. He's our father in heaven. And that is the truth about this Lord's Prayer address that is usually emphasized and, and rightly so. 
Because Jesus telling us to address God as our Father, it's an astonishing thing. And it even does show us, I hope you know, that any familial love in this world, which you know this world is now really broken and there's a ton of hurt even in families, and yet we still all know the ideal and the beauty of deep, unconditional family-like love. And this does even show us that any unconditional love that we love is just an echo of God's love, his love for his people, his love for you in Christ. He really is a father who loves you. And so now that's step four and getting closer to the mountain peak of what's really going on in prayer. Prayer is talking to our Father who deeply loves us. But still, even going further up now in a way, especially on that, we we might and we probably should wonder though, but how is it that this almighty God can and actually does love me like a father? And that's an important question because we need to know in this room, we each need to know that God being a father like this in the Bible isn't said to be true of all people. It isn't. Instead, it's actually only for some. And so the question is, how can you and I personally be sure that we're so loved like this, especially when we know our own failures and sins? And the answer to that now brings us to step five, if you will, of what's now going on here in prayer. And that's then how this Our Father phrase also implies the gospel here. It implies the gospel. This is an address that assumes and even clings to the good news of Jesus. Or to say it another way, think about it. By Jesus telling us to pray and call God our Father, he's not only telling us generally God is your Father who loves you, but even more specifically, he's implying God is your Father who loves you so securely because of the gospel which brings you into his fatherly love. Which means for us that our praying and God's love for us, church, it isn't because we're so great. (laughs) And that's a good thing because if that were true, he could stop loving us if we ever weren't so great, which we're not. Instead, this God, our Father, hears us and loves us because of the gospel. And again, being secure in that is now step five, if you will, on this mountainside trek of what's really going on in prayer. So I know that's a lot, but that is most of what's going on here in this address. Our Father in heaven. God is all powerful, but he's also personal and we can talk to him. And we go to him not alone, but he's our Father. And he loves us as a perfect Father. And this is all ours securely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our Father in heaven. But I still don't think we're at the peak of this address and what's really going on in prayer yet. Because all of that is true and beautiful, but I do think that what we're about to talk about now is above all perhaps the most profound thing that is really going on when we pray. And so just stick with me as we take some time to set this up. And so first on this, let's just all start by remembering who is talking to us here in Matthew 6. And who is it? Well, it's obviously Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, he's many things to us. He's our Savior, our King, the Lord. He's God himself. He's our friend. He's the one who brings us into the presence of God and more. But all that said, do you know who Jesus most fundamentally is? And I say that really thinking about it. Well, he's the Son of God. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And now think about what that really means. And again, stick with me here because eventually this is going to be incredible for us. So Jesus is the eternal son of God. And, And what do we mean by that? Well, what we mean is that in reality, 
And I mean in reality. We say that about Jesus because God, the God who exists, is one God and also he actually is three persons. Three persons. And when we say that, we're not just talking about some mathematical puzzle. Sometimes we think like that. No, we're talking about the foundational reality behind you and me in the whole entire universe. God exists and he's one God in three persons. And Jesus in that God, if you will, has always been the son of God. And so that's who's talking. But now to continue to set this up, now just consider what this one God and three persons has always been like. And so God has always existed in three persons. And yes, there is some mystery into exactly what that means. But what we do know from the Bible, from God telling us, is number one, that means that God is love. God is love. And I mean, think about it. God being one God and three persons is why we can say that God is love and has always been love. Because God has always existed in three persons of love. And, and just so you know, no other religion on the planet with only a strict monotheism can say that, like Allah and Islam. Because for Allah, there was no one for him to love eternity past. But with the true and living God, we love love so much because love literally is foundational to reality. God is love. One God existing in three persons of love. And so we know God is love, but then also concerning what this one God and three persons has always been like, number two, we also know from the Bible that from eternity past, this God of love being three persons has also been a God who communicates. He's been communicative within the Trinity. Really, communication, speaking has been going on forever. And on this, just think about it. It's amazing. Jesus, as you know, is the Son of God which shows his love within the Trinity, but you probably know he's also called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, meaning in God there has always been his Word. God forever past has always been a God who speaks. And quickly, just thinking about us, this is why you and I, as those made in God's image, we are people who love to be loved and to love and we're communicators. All like our God from eternity past. It's quite amazing. But anyways, so that's our God. Always and forever within himself being this beautiful God of love. And he's always been communicative in that love from eternity past. Which finally brings us back to this Lord's Prayer. <laughs> so that's God. And remember, this is Jesus, the eternal Son of God here, who himself, from forever back, is a person in one of the God of three persons, in this God of love and communication. And so think about it. Jesus has always, from forever back, addressed and talked to God, his Father. He has always been loved and so heard as he talked to God, his Father. And so why in the world does that matter for us? <laughs> What does it mean for us? Well, incredibly, listen up. This is where it all applies to us. So that's forever past, literally. The God of love and communication. That is Jesus, the Son of God, who has always talked to God, his Father, by the Spirit. And yet, what does he do here to us, his followers? Well, in essence, Jesus, the Son of God, then invites you and I into that love and communication of the Trinity. 
I hope you see that. Pray then like this. Our Father. In prayer, we in Christ are brought into the very love and communication of the triune God of love and communication. That, that ultimately is what prayer is. Jesus, the Son of God, has always talked to God, his Father, and been loved. And so that is now true of us as well. And really, that is the mountain peak of understanding of what's going on in prayer. And I know that might seem strange to you or sound just impractical, but it isn't. And I do think that the more we see prayer primarily as that, as literally being taken up by the Son of God to be loved and heard, like he has always been loved and heard within the Trinity itself, the more we see prayer like that, the more it'll have a huge impact on our lives and it'll impact what we pray about. (laughs) Because think about it, really applying that to us now. If we think of prayer as just talking to God, which is fine, but if we're only at steps one and two on the mountainside, then prayer to us kind of becomes this just exchange of like, hi, all-powerful God, here's what I want, please do it. And that's often how a lot of us think of prayer as. But as we go up and up this mountain of prayer, we see it so much more than that. We see this God as personal. He does love me. He has proved it in the gospel and I'm secure in Jesus. But not only that, but I'm adopted into his very family. But still, what does that mean? Well, amazingly, think about Jesus. Think about the one teaching us here to understand your adoption. Because do you think that Jesus, the Son of God from eternity past, do you ever think he didn't have his Father's ear? (laughs) Or do you think that the Father ever looked at him and didn't deeply and infinitely love and care for him? No way. Or not at all. In the eternal life of God and the Trinity forever past, it has always been so clear That the Son of God has been loved and heard by his Father. And the point is, so it is for you and I now in Jesus. (laughs) He brings you and I into that, into that love, into that communication in prayer. I mean, it's incredible. Our Father. And now... To be super clear on that, that does not make us little gods or anything, but it does mean that the triune God of three persons in the gospel, in prayer, he invites us in. And there we are so loved and secure in Jesus and heard. (laughs) And finally on that, and I know this has been a lot, and perhaps it's been new, but hopefully beautiful to you, but finally... Just to even further confirm this, think about one last thing on this before we move on. So we've talked a lot about Jesus and the Father, but we have not talked a lot about the third person of God, the Spirit, in all of this yet, because Jesus doesn't mention him here. But isn't it amazing that in other places in the New Testament, such as Galatians 4 and Romans chapter 8, as you might know, when we become Christians, because of Jesus and what he did, how does the Spirit factor in? Well, think about it. We're told very clearly that when we become Christians, we receive the Spirit, the same Spirit of the Son, and what does He enable us to do like Jesus has always done? Well, the Spirit is the one who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so do you see it? This 
is our God. This is Christianity. This is prayer. Who are we as Christians? Well, we're people ultimately who have been invited into the very love and communication of God, meaning Father, Son, and Spirit. We're saved by Jesus, and we're genuine children of God like Jesus. And finally, that all happens by the same Spirit as he enables us to love and commune with our Father like Jesus always has. And the point is, knowing that about what prayer is and really believing that when we pray, that is what ultimately is going on. It's not only right and good to think about, but it will dramatically impact how often and in what way we pray. And so that is our first and longest section. Which now leads us to ask, okay, so that being prayer, how does that actually affect what we primarily pray about? And for this, now we'll continue on and read the second half of verse 9 all, and all of verse 10. And so, we know these lines, but think about it. We have entered into the very life of the Trinity in a way by saying, Our Father in heaven, which leads us to pray like this. Verses 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, let's take these lines one at a time first. Concerning hallowed be your name, last week we talked about this for a while and we called it the main ask of this prayer, which it is. And all it means, remember, is that God himself is holy, meaning set apart. And God's holiness, what sets him apart, isn't some dry, removed, mere sinlessness. Instead, God's holiness is about how he is so magnificently good and powerful and wise and pure and loving and beautiful and creative and more. And that being the case, it means that he is what we in the world needs. And that's why this is the main ask. And... It's why if we're truly aligned with and taken into the life of God and the Trinity and the address, which we are, then we ask this, because knowing who our Father really is, right, knowing this God of holy love, it means that we recognize that what we and the world needs above all and what we were made for is to know more of him. And therefore, essentially, we just pray for that to happen more, for who he is to be seen and recognized. And so that's hallowed be your name in a nutshell, which then leads us to the next line. And that's your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And that prayer has at least two aspects to it. First, as Christians, we know that Christ is the king and that through his good news, people even now can enter into his kingdom reign. And so we're praying for that to happen. But then also we do know that one day, as we've been talking about this morning, Jesus the king, he's going to come back here. And then not only will individual people be in his kingdom, but then the whole universe will be his kingdom as he will make everything good and right and beautiful again. And so by your kingdom come, we're praying for that to happen as well. Which then finally on this section leads to those last two lines of verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here now the focus is on God's will. And this is similar to God's kingdom, but if his kingdom emphasizes the blessings of his reign, this idea of God's will is just talking about what God wants to be done. And on God's will or God's wants, the reality is since God is sovereign in a sense, what our Father ultimately wants to happen is always done. But then also in another and true sense, we as sinners can break his will and... Even this world, right, with sin isn't what God ultimately wants forever. And so this prayer, like God's kingdom to come, is first for God's will to be done more and more in this life by us and by others. But also, this prayer again for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is about the future as well. 
again when Jesus comes back and then our Father's will will finally be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. And so that is our second section answering basically the question how being brought into the love and communication of the Trinity impacts what we primarily pray for. Which means practically for all of us that before we do in a minute move on to the famous petitions concerning ourselves I just do encourage each one of us right now just take a second and scan these Lord's Prayer lines we've seen so far and just notice how Jesus, our Savior and the Son of God, how he really did emphatically tell us to begin by praying, talking about God and his ways. He did. And I know maybe before this morning, meaning before we each in here truly understood what was going on in prayer, maybe we might have noticed Jesus start his prayer like this and, and just thought that we should talk about God first because it's the right thing to do or just something we should do. But instead of that, now I just do hope that if you're tracking, you see that we pray like this. We talk to God about him and his ways because of everything we've seen. It's much more than that. Because again, brothers and sisters, the reality is God the creator, the one who made us, the one God in three persons who loves us, he is the most important reality of this universe. He is, and he loves us as people in Christ. And we, we enter into the very triune life of God in prayer. And he is what the world needs. And so thinking that way and knowing that, it makes sense that in our prayers, what we start doing is we start primarily talking about God and his ways. And so I, I do challenge all of us, and I'm challenging myself here as well, to simply pray and talk to God more like this. In our prayers, let's, let's think about and talk to our Father through Jesus by the Spirit and pray about his ways and his glory and his plans and purposes for the world, for, for your life, those around you, and all over. Let's try to make prayer, prayer, praying more about things like that concerning him. Because again, you can see it, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And because the more we do that, we will have more joy and peace and God will be glorified as well. Which finally, though, leads us to the last few verses of this prayer in our third section. And this is now verses 11 through 13. And for this, now we'll just ask, and what does all of this mean concerning how we pray about ourselves? And that's basically what we see in these verses. So now let's take these one at a time, starting with just verse 11. So Jesus continues on, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So on that to begin, notice you can see the emphasis on daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the emphasis is how we need our Father each and every day. And then concerning how he says we're to ask him for daily bread, well, bread was basically the most simple food back then, and therefore it's a symbol of sustenance here. And finally on this, notice the verb here. It is simple, but it is profound. Give us. Because that now shows us that the daily sustenance we need, brothers and sisters, doesn't just randomly arrive. Instead, it is given. That's a crazy verb. Like if I were to just give you something, so God gives you and I our daily sustenance, it is that personal. And so that's just verse 11. And breaking that down, you can see, we've probably heard that many times, give us this day our daily bread. But really, that one line is a brilliant way by Jesus to summarize how we each depend every day on God for every little thing we need. It's all given to us by our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. But the prayers concerning us don't end there. 
And in fact, I didn't know this until this week, but scholars will point out that, interestingly, that's the first petition concerning us, and it's foundational to our creatureliness, if you will, and so we should pray about things like that, but then verse 12, you can see, and also verse 13, start with the word and. Simple word, and. You can see that, and and and. And that's unique in this prayer. And in fact, one scholar I read this week said this about those ands by Jesus. He said, they're there, quote, almost as if to say that life sustained by food is not enough. And I think that's true. Because these ands show us that concerning ourselves, we each need to realize there is so much more to our lives than physical or creaturely needs. And like, what? Well, For that, now look at verse 12 again. So give us this day our daily bread and, Jesus continues, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we talked about this for a while last week, especially because Jesus elaborates on this in verses 14 and 15 in how we forgive others. But in short, this petition makes sense because in the gospel, think about it, we are amazingly brought to know our Father in Christ by the Spirit. It's, it's beautiful, and yet, let's be honest, you and I are still here. <laughs> and while here, often we mess up. We have sins and things we owe God in a sense. And so naturally, part of our talking to God in this prayer will be asking our Father who loves us for forgiveness. And I hope you know in the gospel, and as Jesus tells us in verse 14, our Father does forgive us of any and all sins. Which finally brings us to the last verse 13. And these go together. So one last time, just look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So concerning the line about temptation, we do know from the Bible that God cannot exactly tempt us, and yet the prayer is here that we be not led into temptation. Right, so taking those two together, that means that this prayer isn't that God doesn't tempt him, he can't do that, but the prayer is that as he's guiding us, church, we ask that he may pro- protect us from giving in to certain temptations we might encounter. And why do we pray that? Well, obviously because we don't want to fall into temptation, but even still, ask yourself, why don't we as Jesus' followers really want to give in to temptation? And the answer to that is because we love our God. <laughs> We love our Father, and because in reality, giving in to temptation does hurt our communion with God. I hope you know, giving in to temptation doesn't ruin our salvation or our security in the gospel, because that's all due to Jesus alone. And yet, brothers and sisters, when we give in to temptation, it grieves God and it hinders our experienced communion with him, which then has ripple effects in our lives. And finally, that's also why we pray that, but deliver us from evil. And that word evil there is ambiguous in the original language. It could just be talking about evil in general, or actually it could be talking about the evil one, the devil. But either way, however we take it, both are true. Because if you're tracking the idea is we are brought back to God, saved in Christ, having his spirit, but then also for now, and again, we see this in all of these verses, for now we're still sinners in this world. And we have needs of sustenance. We mess up in our sins. We have temptation all around us. And finally, there's real evil in our hearts, in our world, and even in satanic and demonic ways. And all that said, what's overall our prayer, brothers and sisters, and all of that? Well, in summary, since we have a relationship with and love our Father, we just pray and ask him to help us. 
It makes sense to give us our sustenance we need, to forgive us our sins, to keep us from things that might lead us away from him, and finally to deliver us from any evil we encounter. And so that's this Lord's Prayer, which just practically means for us that now that we've seen this pattern, it means, church, that these are the sort of prayers we should pray more like. We should. And that's why as much as we've been saying these past two weeks that we don't need to exactly always pray like this, let me just say, it might be a good thing for you and I to do that more often. I just want to say, especially if you struggle with praying or knowing what to say when you pray, it might be a good thing to go through this prayer more. Or better yet, it might actually be helpful to take these lines and to riff on this prayer. And in fact, for famous people like Martin Luther and others, the reformer, I just want you to know, that is the main way that they used to teach people to pray. Especially if you don't know what to say, to, to riff on this Lord's Prayer. Meaning you say a line, and then you basically rephrase it and apply it to your life. We should try that. Let that be a structure you use with your prayer time in the Lord. Because just, just consider this, if you did that, with just the lines of this Lord Prayer. If you and I did that, here's just a quick sample of 10 things that would happen in our hearts if we riffed on this prayer, if our prayers were more like this. In our prayers, if we did that, number one, we'd be refreshed about God's fatherly love. Number two, we'd be reminded of God's holiness. Number three, we'd remember the gospel. Number four, we'd focus on God's kingdom and evangelism. Number five, we'd think about how much better glory is to come. Number six, we'd realize everything we have depends on God's giving. Number seven, we'd confess our sins more and we know we're forgiven in Jesus. Number eight, we'd ask for guidance and temptation. Number nine, we'd realize there's evil out there we need help with. And number 10, in it all, we'd have a special peace knowing that we were praying in a way that Jesus himself endorsed. And so again, we don't need to exactly pray like this each time, but maybe we should a little more. And if you personally are here and you're just looking for one big takeaway from this morning, maybe make it that. Because I don't know if you've ever, for a season in your life, really prayed this Lord's Prayer like that. Not just mindlessly reciting these words, it's tradition, like Jesus warned about in verses 7 through 9, but really taking these lines and praying them. Because if you haven't, maybe try it and see where it takes you in your prayer life with the Lord. And so that's our passage, church. I know it's a lot, but that brings us now to close on this Lord's Prayer. Just one more thing we haven't talked about last week, nor this week yet, but it does need to be mentioned. And this is obvious in a way, but I want it to close with this after these two weeks because it also is honestly astonishing here and I do think it's quite encouraging. And for what it is, it's simply finally now noticing as we conclude the Lord's Prayer that these lines from Jesus are all requests. You see that, right? They're all requests for us to pray. And I know that's basic, but think about it. That then means that Jesus is teaching us here, to be clear, that we're not to just think about these things more in God's presence, but apparently Jesus is saying that in how God's, God works, there is such a thing, brothers and sisters, as us requesting and as God answering what we request. And again, yes, we know that. And we assume that's what prayer is, but it is amazing because think about it. We understand that sort of easily when we think of more simple things or creaturely things like asking for bread, for example. We know that we can ask God for bread and if he decides he can answer and give it. But notice, the lines about God are requests as well. <laughs> and that's astonishing because we might be sitting here and thinking, What's the point of praying the first ask? I mean, God is going to hollow his name anyways. 
Or we might think, well, Jesus is the the king and he's going to come back when he wants. Or God is going to have his will be done even if I don't pray. And we can think things like that all the time. Or we could do that about the second half. We could say, God's going to forgive me in Jesus. Or he's going to lead me not to temptation if he wants. Or he's going to deliver me from whatever evil he sees fit. And thinking that way and therefore not really praying would make sense if God wasn't a God who genuinely heard and answered our requests. But church, this is amazing. In reality, as sovereign and holy and majestic as God is still, Jesus teaches us here that God does hear us and he takes action based on our requests. Which means that as we close, yes, for example, God's name will be hallowed on this planet, in this earth, and though, I do hope you know, it is amazingly through the prayers of his people, people like you and me, who by praying it, are part of that hallowing happening. You get that? I mean, the same is true for God's kingdom coming coming, and with everything else in this prayer. And, and, and that finally is what I hope we recognize about prayer and are encouraged by Because finally, that then means that concerning prayer, it's not just that we're in God's presence, loved and secure in Jesus and talking to our Father by the Spirit, but also what we say does matter. Our requests have effects. And Jesus teaches us to pray because God listens and answers when we ask. And so all that said, let's just now go and pray more like this church, not because we just have to or should, but because truly, It is a privilege to be able to talk to our Father through Jesus by the Spirit and to pray for these things both concerning God and concerning ourselves and in all that is a privilege to be heard and even answered. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.